Well, we come to the close of our study on the dynamics of the Christian life. I've, I've benefited from this study, even though I've gone through Pilgrim's Progress time and time again. But I'm, but I'm always encouraged as I go to God's Word and as I even consider how God has worked in other people's lives as they have sought to be faithful in Christian journeys. So I hope this has been a benefit uh, to you. Last week we looked at an understanding of heaven from the scriptures. We are not given a whole lot of information, but what we are given shows that heaven really is a glorious place and we will be with our Savior there. And today we want to look at what does it take to get into heaven. This, This, I think, will be the most important message It really is the most important thing in the Christian life, isn't it? And we might ask the question, what is important in in your life and in my life? We may say relationships, family, church, work, money. There are many things that have a place and that are important. But are any of these things the most important thing? And then we look at our church, for example. What, What might be the most important thing about Covenant Presbyterian Church? Is it worship? Is it Sunday school? Is it Bible studies? Is it this new parenting class, which I encourage you all to attend? It is an important thing. Is it our financial health, our covenant groups, our fellowship? These are all important. They have a place. But is, are any of these the most important thing in the life of our church? And today my main point is simply this. The most important thing in our lives today must be what really matters in the last day to come when we seek entrance, when we seek to gain heaven itself. Recently, I met with a pastor friend of mine that's that's pastoring part of a staff of a local church here in Little Rock, and we got together and we were talking about pastoral ministry in general and the the ministries of our churches specifically, in case you're wondering, this is what pastors do when they get together. And it was a great time of just encouraging one another, really about, about the gospel. But this question, what is the most important thing at Covenant, was front and center on my mind as I was trying to explain to my pastor friend what Covenant really is all about. Now, I must admit that I answered this question out of preparing for this sermon, but this is how I answered the question, what is covenant all about? Covenant is primarily about God's gracious work in uniting sinners to Christ in saving faith and the many implications of that gracious work of God to our everyday lives, such as repenting and believing, knowing Christ more, relying on Christ more, obeying Christ more, and really it all could be summed up in loving Christ more. And if union with Christ is the only thing that really counts on the last day as we stand there at the gate to get into heaven seeking entrance, then it must be the most important thing in our individual lives today and in the life of Covenant Presbyterian Church. Listen, this issue of union with Christ really is a matter of life and death, isn't it? And Jesus, or John rather, tells us this 
in John chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. So take your Bibles and turn there. John 3, 13 through 18. Here we find what is the most important thing in our individual lives? What should be the most important thing in the life of Covenant Presbyterian Church? What should Covenant Presbyterian Church be about more than anything else? We find it right here in John 3, 13 through 18. Now God's word for God's people. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect, reviving the soul. And may God's word revive our souls even today. Now, in the passage I just read, I'm sure you you picked out and picked up that here John describes two types of people. And these two types of people have two very different destinies. And this distinction that is made between these two types of people really are our sermon outline today. We'll be looking at whoever does not believe, and then we'll be looking at whoever believes in the Son of God. Whoever does not believe, John tells us in verse 18, the second part, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Let us pray. Father, as we contemplate these two types of people, as we think about these two very different destinies, as we think about the most important thing in our individual lives and the corporate life of this church, bring your word to bear very powerfully upon our hearts that we might conform to your truth. And remind us of our desperate need for Jesus. That today, the most important thing really is a matter of life and death. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so many people live condemned already. I have friends, for example, that are wonderful people. And they really have been very helpful to me. And yet, they don't know Christ. They've never expressed any interest in knowing Christ. They really don't think much about heaven and probably don't even think much about about hell. Christ and their need of Christ is not a part of their thinking in any shape, fashion, or form. Do you know people like that? And, and what John has just told us in this passage is that whoever does not believe is condemned already. They are living a life 
under condemnation. And so in Bunyan's story, we've actually met people like this. Maybe you rem- remember way back when, when we, when we met obstinate and pliable, and then more recently, temporary, who actually apostatized because he really did not have true saving faith. They reject Christ. They're unconcerned about the things of Christ. They're unconcerned about heaven. They probably don't think about their eternal destinies. But the Word of God tells us that their destiny is hell. And they're taken straight from the city of destruction in Bunyan's story. Right to hell. They don't even get on the the path trying to make it to heaven. Well, there are others that are like ignorance. And maybe you remember ignorance in Bunyan's story. We met him, by the way, some weeks ago. So Christian and, and, and hopeful encountered ignorance after they had that wonderful experience in and around the delectable mountains. And right after they left the delectable mountains, they run across this guy, ignorance. And He said that he was going to the celestial city. And so Christian asked him, hey, listen, what do you have that is going to ensure that you get into heaven? And so this is how ignorance answers. I know my Lord's will. And I have lived right. I pay every man that I owe. I pray. I fast. I tithe. And I give other offerings I have left my country for the place I am going. Now, the country of ignorance was the country of conceit. And so how many times did the first personal pronoun come up in my little recitation of ignorance's answer? Many He's from the country of conceit because he's so conceited that he thinks that he can A, devise his own plan to get into heaven, and B, actually fulfill it, that he can merit heaven based on his own effort. And so, hopeful and Christian encounter him on the crooked lane. He was following his own religion. He depended on his own religious duty and good works to gain entrance into heaven. And so ignorance sought to get into heaven, but he had a very distorted view of the gospel, didn't he? His view of the gospel was, I have to earn my way. And by the way, I can earn my way, and I have earned my way. But what Christian and Hopeful were were saying to him and preaching to him was this, the only way to get into heaven is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And ignorance rejected that. Now, here's the amazing thing. Ignorance, do you you remember poor Christian trying to cross the deep river? How he struggled? How he struggled through death? Ignorance walks across it like he was walking on water. No problem at all. As Bunyan writes. And he comes right up to the gate of the celestial city. And you would think, man, if anybody would be allowed into the celestial city, it would be ignorance because he had no problem through death. 
but he was refused entrance into heaven because he could not produce the one thing that meant life and without it, it meant death. You know what it was? A certificate. The king commanded the two shining ones to bind them up, bind his hands, bind his feet, and to take him. You may remember when we were working through the, the delectable mountains, one of the, the features was down in a valley, there was a door in the side of the mountain that led to hell. And so the king commanded the shiny ones to bind him hand and feet and transport him and dump him right through that door into hell. And that is exactly what they did. Then I saw, writes Bunyan, that there was... Now listen to this. This is incredibly insightful. Then I saw, writes Bunyan, that there was a way to hell even from the gates of heaven as well as the city of destruction. The last chapter of Pilgrim's Progress you know, has a sobering ending. Ignorance sought heaven, but he had a distorted view of what it took to get in. He accomplished many good things. He was religious, but yet he liked the one thing that was absolutely essential and determinative for getting into heaven. The most important thing, having it meant entrance, not having it meant refusal in hell. So as I'm thinking about ignorance, people would see him and say he was a good man, he was a religious man, he did all these great things, surely he would deserve heaven, but then consider what Jesus said. Jesus gives a warning in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Feel free to turn there. A warning about refusing the gospel message and opting for a distorted view, a man-centered view of the gospel. Jesus warns about thinking that you can merit heaven based upon your own good works based upon your own duty and devotion to religion. Here's what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, this should give us pause. Bunyan ends his allegory of the Christian life, part one, not with some happy ending, but for ignorance, it was a very sad ending, and it's a sobering ending for you and me, those of us who are still on the journey. He ends with judgment upon ignorance who refused the true biblical gospel of Jesus Christ and opted basically to save himself by his own good works 
and his devotion to his own form of religion. He sought to merit heaven and he was refused. He rejected Christ. His name was not written in the book of life because he was not united to Christ in saving faith. We read this in Revelation 20 and verse 15. And if anyone, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You know, if, if you take the, the eight-season series Downton Abbey, and I've watched every one of them, and it's just amazing to me that over those eight seasons, how many episodes? I have no idea. It seems like there's an episode galore, but eight seasons. And you kind of get into the life of all the characters. There was one bit of difficulty after another and another. And, and, and if all we had to do was look at poor Bates and Anna. I mean, my goodness, could anything more happen to them? <laughs> But the last episode of the last season, everything worked out for everybody. It was truly a happy ending. But here in Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, the last chapter, albeit the shortest chapter, was not a happy ending for ignorance. But it's an important and sobering ending for you and me. The only way that we can gain entrance into heaven is to have that certificate. And that certificate validates that we have been united to Christ in saving faith and our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So I think we do well to remember ignorance and his plight and his destiny that we would not follow the same grievous error that cost him his life. To think he can get into heaven by being a good person, by being moral, by being religious, by doing all the duties that we find written even in God's word that a Christian should do. He did those. And he was refused heaven. But now let's look at what John also says in verse 18, verse 16 and verse 18, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, verse 16b, and whoever believes in him is not condemned, verse 18a. Recently, this tweet came up. I hardly ever look at Twitter, and when I do, I'm interested in how the bike races are going. But this Franklin Graham tweet came up. I didn't even know I followed Franklin Graham. I do now. And this is what the tweet said. Have you ever wished that you could start over? Turn over a new leaf? Have a new beginning? There's only one way by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Amen. Right? Well, what happens on Twitter? People respond. And so Reverend, and I've, Reverend Dr. Curry that sounds impressive. He tweeted this. Actually, Franklin, there are many paths to God. We 
I, I don't understand what this hashtag thing is. But anyway, hashtag Christians. We, hashtag Christians. Did I say that right, you tw- tweeter, tweety people? Hashtag Christians are at our worst when we claim an exclusive understanding of divine knowledge. Ignorance. And this response is such a common point of view. Many roads to heaven, but the scriptures tell us that there is one way, that there is only one way, that there is an exclusive way to get into heaven. So Jesus encourages his disciples in John chapter 14 as he is preparing to ascend to the right hand of the Father and he's encouraging his disciples and he tells them that I am going to prepare a place for you and if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come back and bring you there to be with me. And that's really encouraging. And in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one gets into heaven except through me. Is how we could paraphrase that for our purposes today. We see a similar thing written in the book of Acts, chapter 4 and verse 12, as Peter is there preaching and declaring the gospel even to the Sanhedrin. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Franklin Graham's tweet is biblically correct. It is truth. Jesus is the only way to be saved. He is the only way to get to the gate of heaven. He is the only way to get in to heaven. And so when Christian and Hopeful finally get to the gate, there they see above the gate this this wonderful saying written, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city. Revelation 22 and verse 14. And as they were reading that, the shining ones had come to them and said, when you get to the gate and you read that statement, you call out for the king to let you in. And so they, they call out. And interestingly, Enoch, Moses, and Elijah raise up over the gate and look down <laughs> at Christian and Hopeful. I would like to... Well, maybe we, I will. Hopefully, I will see that. Maybe they'll look at me. And they said this: These pilgrims have come from the city of destruction because of the love that they have for the king of this place. You see the difference between ignorance and Christian and hopeful. Christian and hopeful came to that gate because of the love that they had for that king. I want to end by reminding us that the love that we have for the king is only because the king has loved us, <laughs> right? But who did ignorance love? He loved himself, didn't he? From the country of conceit. And so Christian and Hopeful reached in to their pockets, 
And what do they pull out? Their certificate. And they presented it. It's a certificate, and remember way back, the certificate that they received after they had come to the way of salvation, that wall called salvation. And there they came to the foot of the cross on that little hill. With Down below the hill was the open, open sepulcher. And remember what happened there, that there at the foot of the cross with an open sepulcher there, that the burden that Christian had on his back was relieved. And that little burden pack that probably didn't feel so little to him flew off his back, rolled down into that open sepulcher, never to be seen again. And then, then, then remember what happened. That the declaration was made, your sin is forgiven. And Christian received a new set of clothes. And thirdly, he was given a certificate. And it was that certificate that represented, that validated, that authenticated that he had been united to Christ in saving faith. That Jesus had taken all of his sin, the guilt of his sin... And he had bore it and paid the penalty of it in full. No more debt for Christian. And his record was wiped clean. His his old dirty, rotten, filthy rag of a dress was taken. And Christ dealt with it in full. And then... A perfect, clean, fresh, new set of clothes representing the righteousness of Christ was placed upon him. No more guilt accepted as righteous only for the imputed righteousness of Christ granted to him through faith. At the very gate of heaven, what happened long ago at the foot of that cross meant life and without it meant death justified by grace through faith in Christ that's what that certificate represented and this is the only thing that really is going to matter when you and I stand at that gate in heaven John declared this in verse 17 of John 3. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The passage that Dan read from Numbers 21, oh my, what a glorious and beautiful picture of Christ in the Old Testament. That here these poisonous snakes were biting the people Because they had sinned and disobeyed God and they were dying. And Moses prayed. And God said, Moses, you fashioned that that bronze serpent, put it upon a pole and lift it up. And all who look upon it in faith will be healed, though they've been bitten by a poisonous snake. Jesus was lifted up on the cross. And all of us who have been bitten by the poison snake, snake of sin 
Look unto Him in true repentance and faith and be healed. That's what that certificate represented. That's the only thing that really matters at the end of our journey. We might think our wealth matters. We might think our position matters. We might even think our ministry here at church matters. These things may be important, but they will not matter one bit when we stand at the gate and Enoch and Moses and Elijah look over at us. And we call to get in. What's going to matter is that you have that certificate. And if the most important thing on that day is that certificate, I would suggest to you that the most important thing in your life and my life and in the life of this church is that certificate, that reality. All that really matters as we stand at the gate is our union with Christ in saving faith. And what should be the most important thing in our life today is union with Christ in saving faith and all the incredible implications of that in how we live our life daily. Practically, our union with Christ should cause us to repent and believe. I think one of the greatest errors that mature Christians make is that they think that they no longer need to, need to, to repent and believe. Because they repented and believed once in coming to Christ. But the Christian life is a life of repenting and believing unto salvation as we come to Christ. But it's a life. Our union with Christ means that we daily repent of our sin. We turn from it. That we turn from our works righteousness. And we turn to Christ in faith. That we know as we prayed this morning in the prayer of confession that, that we're prone to seek heaven and to merit it by our own self-effort and personal righteousness. That we turn to Christ and rely wholly on him. That we walk in obedience. That, that as a church, that as a church, that the most important thing, though our programs are important and our fellowship is important and all these other things, our outreach ministries are important, but the most important thing is preaching and teaching and encouraging one another and, and the glorious offer of being united to Christ and what that means and how that works itself out in our daily lives. As parents, we must point our children to Jesus today. And probably the best way to summarize this, this whole important matter of our union with Christ is just simply saying that really the most important thing for you and me today, individually and corporately as a church, is to love Christ more and more and more. Because at the end of the day, what matters is not so much our love for Christ, 
Our love for Christ more and more simply points to something else. It points to what truly is the difference maker there as we stand at the gate to heaven. It is Christ's love for us. We read earlier in verse 16 of John 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see what's going to matter? And the only thing that is going to matter, when you and I stand there at the gate, seeking to gain heaven, is that Jesus' redeeming love has been placed upon us. And we have that certificate that we are in union with Christ. And maybe another way to describe this is in, in the old children's hymn, the only thing that matters in the end, and really the most important thing that should matter today is simply this, Jesus loves me. He who died, heaven's gate to open wide. He will wash away my sin. Let his little child come in. If I love him when I die, he will take me home on high. Let me just ask you this. What is the most important thing in your life? And let me ask us this. What is the most important thing in the life of our church? Let us pray. Father, in light of what we've considered this morning, I thank you for your love. Your love truly is wondrous, eternal, and it never fails. We thank you for placing your redeeming love upon us. We thank you that because of your love, we will be admitted to heaven and spend eternity with you. And we pray and ask these things. Just this prayer of thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen.